The following content is provided under a Creative Commons license. Your support will help MIT OpenCourseWare continue to offer high-quality educational resources for free. To make a donation or to view additional materials from hundreds of MIT courses, visit MIT OpenCourseWare at ocw.mit.edu. So looking at uh, things here, right, uh, X and theta and how they can be represented, uh, but you can create some really beautiful images out of that. You can even create some of my slides You can create some really interesting pictures like this. So if I, uh, uh, this picture is made uh, in that x theta space. The coordinates are a little bit uh, changed here. This is a, this is a slide from uh, Sam Masinov, and uh, there's a robot that Andrew Adams built at uh, Stanford just using Legos. And you can do this for your assignment as well. You can build a Lego-based uh, gantry that can you know, shift and take these pictures. For your assignment, you're just doing 1D translation. But you could do even do 2D translation. Um, and then imagine if I put a camera here and I simply translate it. And now we're in flat line. When uh, the camera is here, I will take a picture and put it over here, this line. Okay. Then I'll move the camera and I'll stack those images. Right. So, for example, when I am. Uh, So yeah, if you, if you look at this particular uh, green object over here, you'll see that it creates actually a line. Because when I start translating it, it creates that line. On the other hand, this particular white sphere ends up mapping with this really strange object here. So, so this is the visualization of the same space that you saw earlier, which looks, you know, maybe simple and very boring. So once you start putting interesting objects, that's how your light field starts looking. And this is basically a light field. Here is t, uh, t and theta, but it's the same as x and theta. And the, the appearance of this room through this window, all you're allowed to do is look at this world through this window. You cannot go inside. You only see from outside. Everything that can be captured about the scene through this window is represented in this 2D light field. So now if I want to create any refocusing effects, any depth of field effects, all the information is available here. And if I just reuse the pixels from here and take projections and so on, I can create the effects. It's really kind of twist your, twist your mind around it, and then it starts making sense. Uh, for those of you who have a computer vision background, uh, this is also known as apipolar plane images, or EPI. Okay. So let's go back to some of this concept we were talking about earlier, where um, you know you're going to represent each part of the lens as a different camera. So five subsections, five cameras. Okay. Except we know that if I want to focus at infinity. I can just take the sum of all these images and I'm done. 
right? Or average of the signatures. But third focus closer, then I cannot just take the average, I have to shift and add. Okay? And what this prism is doing in the real world is, is doing the shifting for you. So let's go back to this example of this notion of shifting and adding. So uh, I'm going to compare this with the five camera situation. See if I have a point here. From the first camera, the image goes here. The second one, it goes there. Third one, it goes there. Fourth one, it goes here. Fifth one, it goes here. And that's my pinhole camera. Okay. So as you can see, if the point is close by, the coordinates here are not the same. Here it's near the zero, and here it's a little further up from the center, and here it's further down, it's down from the from the center, and so on. So when I have to bring these five images, I need to shift these images so that these guys, all guys overlap on top of each other so that this point will be sharp focus. The lens does that for you automatically because because of the prism, if I put a painting here, okay, and there is just a pinhole here, this is A, B, C, right? This will come back as A, B, C. Okay? But this one here would have created an image that looks like this. But because of the prism, it rotates the image and then this thing shifts down. So they are on top of each other. And because of this part of the prism, it shifts, it would have the image would have been created here, the ABC. But it shifts just a little bit. And so on. And for the other one, the image would have been formed here, it shifts up. So the prism does the job for you basically of shifting these images. Uh, so that's a very simple way of thinking about how we can emulate a very large lens by an array of cameras. So the top cameras here should shift jump, shift down in the images, and the bottom cameras should shift up. And by doing that, you can focus anywhere you want. Except that in case of a traditional lens, once the photo is taken, you are done. In case of an array of cameras, you can take those pictures and shift as much as you want, you want and add them in interesting ways. And that's why light fields are so powerful. So instead of using now an array of cameras, we're going to build lens light arrays or some other uh, fancy optics so that I can directly capture these five images in a single snapshot. Okay. There are basically three ways of creating. Yes. So that means uh, for all these cameras, okay, the optimum aperture is. Uh, so this is just conceptual. Yeah, you're, you're right. So when you think about the Stanford camera, you want each of these cameras to have infinite depth of field. So everything is in sharp focus, which means it's a pinhole camera. So conceptually, yes, it's a pinhole camera. But in the real world, you cannot have a pinhole camera. So they try to keep the aperture small. But you know, if you use a really cheap camera, like a cell phone camera, uh, they are usually have a pretty large depth of field anyway. So they're as close to pinhole as you can get. So basically three ways of capturing uh, light field. Something that exploits shadows and pinhole array, 
1908, something that uses lens-like array, also uh, early 1900s, and so-called heterodyning after 100 years in my group. Okay. So it took 100 years to come up with a third solution. Um, think about how you can, uh, you know, as I said, a sub-aperture is basically a pinhole with a prism. So I can take each of these pinholes and just, so you have this, you have this, and a third one would be, I can just put a pinhole, and in front of this, I can put a prism. In front of this, I'll put a shallower prism. In front of this, I'll just put a piece of glass. Here, I'll put a... Right? So lens is basically an array of pinholes with a set of prisms. And as we saw, if you have two corners of this pinholes, the image will be formed with large sensor, but the lens does a smart job of just bending light at this prism and this prism to bring it in, in sharp focus. Okay. So this figure is from uh, from from Lipman, I believe in 1930. Sorry, this one is Lipman, this one is Ives in 1933, and he said, okay, if you really want to capture each of these rays individually, you can just put a pinhole at it. So, So, if I put a pinhole array there and, and, and take a picture, so no lens slit array, just a pinhole array, then you end up getting a picture that looks like this. Okay? And if you zoom in on that, you'll see that under each pinhole, it will create a disk. So, remember we had a lens slit, and we had a, uh, a lens slit here. Instead of that, we just want to have it. And then when Rope was explaining this, you use a pinhole array, right? Yeah. So that was, that's an example of uh, just a pinhole array. So this is our solution number one, this is our solution number two, and solution number three will we'll see in a second. Um, and it turns out, if you think about a glare in a scene, like a lens flare, uh, a 2D image might look like that on the top right, uh, but if you zoom in, it turns out in the 4D space, the glare manifests itself as this bright spots in the corner of the image. So you can just go through this image and eliminate all the all the bright spots, and you can get rid of lens flare. And you know, so you can remove the outliers just do some kind of a medium filtering in a neighborhood and the lens flare is remote. Alright, so the second way of doing it is by using lens slit array, which we already saw, so I want to repeat that again. And now comes the question of what happens to points that are in focus versus out of focus. Okay. And this is a very key concept uh, you have to understand. So let's say I have a lens slit array. Uh, and I have a point that's in sharp focus at one of these And same situation. If the point is in sharp focus at this pinhole, okay. light will go back and I will create a disk. Okay. 
but let's say this is the this is the red uh, crayon. All the rays are red, and when they come back to the spin hole, this whole thing looks red. So that's why in this part of the image, where in the original photo with the original camera, the the red crayons are in sharp focus, the whole disk is red. Which means that the whole, every part of the lens is getting a red ray as a from this point. But let's go to a part that's actually uh, out of focus. Okay? So I believe this one is over here. So that's on the boundary between uh, maybe a yellow crayon and a blue crayon. So even in the original photo, it's out of focus. We didn't have a lens that could be out of focus. And here you can see part of the each blob under uh, a lens slit is yellow and the other part is blue. Okay. Uh, how's that happen? So we have a situation where we have a sort of focus. We have a yellow and blue. Yellow But they're actually out of focus. So if I start shooting the rays from that, and there's this one, this is the If I just take the one from the yellow blue boundary, okay, for this part, the, the light is in focus closer. Okay, it's in focus closer, and the image that should have focus. Okay. So for the bottom part, here, all these rays are going to be in. But this part here is, is not here. And from the blue part, again, we shoot the rays. And what you realize is that if you look at this thing called, we had a yellow cone coming through and a slightly offset blue cone coming through. And because they were not in sharp focus, they will contribute through one pinhole so that part of it is yellow, part of the blob is yellow, and part of the blob is. Now, let's go in the. This one is the one. Let's go to the one that's further away. Let's go back to the image in Alright, let's look at this one. This one is a perfect example. So if you just look at the green and the one that's kind of blackish next to it. So this one was very easy. The, the blue was to the left of the yellow in the original picture. And even in, inside each blob, the blue is to the left of the yellow. But if you see this one, the green is to the left of the dark region. So it has flipped. So here the left-right ordering is maintained. Here the left-right ordering is switched. Can anybody tell me what, what's going on here? Uh, exactly. If you are in front of the focus plane, the left-right remains in the same position. When you are behind the focus plane, the order is switched. And that's why you cannot simply take this image and reconstruct the original high-frequency, high-resolution image. You have to do a lot of processing for this to be able to recover. So it's, it's a lot of fun to look at these images. There's all this information that's encoded, the four-dimensional information. 
So here is our solution. Instead of placing a lenslet array, we're going to place a mask. Not a pinhole array, but a specially printed mask. You can just take a medium format camera such as a Mamiya. Uh, just remove the, uh, the IR um, protective glass. And then simply drop a film on top of uh, the medium format camera sensor. Put back the put back the protective glass and you're ready to go. And you have a lecture camera. <coughs> yeah. So in this case we are not putting a, a pinhole array. But so I'm going to go through this slides uh, very quickly. Instead of putting a, a pinhole array, we're going to place a different type of mask to capture that. And a few concepts that we have to look at uh, before we get there is that there is this co concept of conjugate plane. That if a plane is in sharp focus at a sensor, then this plane and the corresponding sensor plane are conjugate with each other. If I put the object closer, then I must move the sensor further back. And those two are conjugate with respect to each other. And that is defined by the, the lens equation. 1 over f equals 1 over u plus 1 over v. Okay? Now the key concept here is that a lens copies a light field from the outside world to the inside world. Okay? What does that mean? If I have, so originally what we were doing, we were assigning some coordinate system. We called it the theta plane, and we call this one the x plane. Okay. This is our two plane parameter. Now there's a little bit of fudging going around here because theta here doesn't really correspond to absolute angle, but an, but a coordinate on this axis. So theta is zero here, and you know let's say it's plus five here and minus five here. And x is of course goes from 0 to 1000. And this is our life. The relationship between any point here and any point here defines the 2D life field. Now, it turns out, let's say I have two points here, A and B, and I have two points here, A and B. So A and B has to be opposite. Okay? The image is formed here. I can also assign a new plane here. This light field, which means this x theta relationship is maintained in this theta x relationship. So if I take a ray here from, I'm going to assign this also, let's say I put a painting here, okay, and assign the coordinate of 1 to 1000. And here I assign the coordinate of 1 to 1000. It's good to take some real numbers. Then if I shoot a ray from, I don't know, 200 to plus 4, I can guarantee if the plane was in conjugate that the 4 will map back to um, so A and B. This is A. It will map to the pixel that's 200. Okay. And of course, if I have 200 mapping to 3 here, 3 will automatically map it to also. And that's only because this painting is in sharp focus at the sense. So this notion of conjugation uh, means that the 
light field of this x theta coordinate is mapped to this theta x coordinates. So I can take parameterization, I can shoot all the rays here. If there's a point here and I shoot rays out, the same point will be sharp focus here and all the rays will converge. Okay. If I have two rays that are starting in the same theta direction, they'll come out here in the same theta direction. Okay, and so on. So basically I'm creating an exact replica of a light field here inside. And this is possible only when the lens is extremely good quality. So it might do a pretty good job, uh, a not so good lens will create a good do a good job of popping it in the center but not at the edges, or it might be good for one wavelength but not for others, uh, and so on. Right. And this notion of popping the light field uh, makes the lens very unique because we know that the appearance of the world is 4D. It completely describes the appearance of the world, and what the lens has done is optically it has copied the appearance of the world faithfully to something that's inside. Okay, and now we just need a good quality sensor to basically take the hologram of what's out there. And I'm using the word hologram to indicate the 4D appearance of the window into the world. Okay. So this window that we have here is exactly copied over here. So anything that's behind this window is faithfully reproduced over here. Unfortunately, in a traditional camera, you take that window and you snap it back to a 2D image. So the problem is the sensor. The optics is doing its job of going from 4D to 4D. So 4D in, right, and 4D out. But the sensor does a terrible job of maintaining that 4D just gives you 2D. But if you have these three solutions, you can recover this 4D. So let me just explain this concept one more time of how the rays, when they're in sharp focus versus out of focus, look differently. And I promise you that after you understand this concept of rays and ray space and all that, everything else, you know, out of focus and, and depth of field will become extremely easy to understand. Okay? So just, just see how, how this works out. So and now let's say we have a point here. We can either represent the light field here, or we can represent it here. It doesn't really matter. Now here, what we have is a point that's emitting light in all directions. So how does the light field look like? There's a point X, and it's emitting light in all three directions. Now we know that the lens is going to make an exact replica of that inside. So when I come here, I have a particular X, and light is coming from all different directions. So what's coming at the plane is exactly that. Okay. From this, how do I form an image? How do I realize that if I integrate the radiance along each of these rays, I will get the intensity at this pixel. We're going from a 2D world now to a 1D world. In the in the in the, in the general case, we go from a from a 4D world to a 2D sensor, 4D representation, 2D sensor. Here we have 2D light field and 1D sensor. How would you do it? 
sum over theta. I'm just going to sum up everything that comes over theta. That is, I'm going to take all these values and sum them up. And mathematically, that's just taking a projection. I'm just going to take this 2D world and flatten it to uh, a 1D world. Okay? Or you can call it line integral. So imagine I'm, I had all this, all this uh, tennis balls here, and I just dropped all of them under the force of gravity. The number of balls I will count here will be the intensity of that piece. And it will black everywhere else. Very simple, very clean. Now what happens when something is out of focus? Okay. If it's out of focus, then the lens is doing a good job of transferring the 4D here, 4D here. But it, it did the right job for this plane, not for this plane. So how do we represent the new space of light field? Again, this, this case, the light field is very simple. There's just one contract. We have this bunch of rays, and we want to represent that. Previously, the light was reaching only one x point. Now it's reaching an array of x points. And for each of the x points, there's only one direction in which light is arriving. Okay. So there's still a line. That's the axis missing. Okay. So I have a bunch of different points here, and for each of them, there's a direction along which the light is arriving. So this is the notion of shear. We had a straight line, we sheared it a little bit. And now, how do we compute the light? How do we compute the intensity from the set of rays? Again, the same operation of, imagine we had all this, all this tennis balls here, and we're going to let them drop. If you let them drop, we're going to get intensity that goes over a set of pixels rather than just one pixel. Right? And that's the captured photo you'll see. When something is out of focus, you don't see a sharp point, but you see a blurred set of values. So again, we start from here, exact copy. Um, for a given x, we have all the thetas. We project, we get a sharp point. That's the intensity of the capture photo. If it's out of focus, the set of rays can be represented on a slanted line now. When we project that, we get the integral, and that will be better. Is this clear? So now when you're thinking about, um, now when you're thinking about doing your assignment, and you have a set of photos, um, and you want to do refocusing. Okay. You can think of it in multiple ways. If I stack all the photos, okay. so remember, uh, taking a picture with array of cameras is the same thing. So I'm going to put an array of cameras here. And uh, the coordinate of the camera is theta. And, uh, the framework of the camera is X. So I can take a picture of the first camera and I'll put that as the top row of this. I'll take a picture with the theta equals 2, I'll put it over here. Sorry, theta equals 5 over here, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. If I have 9 cameras, I'll put them over here. And if I just want to take a picture that's focused at infinity, I'm going to stack all those pictures and just take the sum along vertical direction. And that will focus at infinity. Okay. If I want to focus closer, then I should just sum them up 
as they are, but I need to slightly shear them. So I'm going to keep the center camera uh, center camera image as is. I'll take the theta equals one camera and shift it to the left by one pixel. I'll take theta equals two. I'll shift it by two pixels, three pixels, and five pixels. Minus sorry, minus one, minus two, minus three. And the one over here, I'll shift by plus one, plus two, plus three. And if I sum them up, I'll actually focus them on a different plane. So this is the main concept behind refocusing, that it's shifting and adding. And you can think of that within a single lens, or you can think of that using array of cameras. Clear so far? So next time you're taking a picture, <laughs> you know, think about how much work the lens is doing. <laughs> you know, it's copying the light field, right? It's, it's capturing the hologram of what's out there, right? This is using the popular terminology. It's capturing the hologram of what, what's out there. It's recreating that hologram very close to the sensor, and all that the sensor is doing is just recording that as a 2D image, finally, because the sensor doesn't have an ability to record, in a traditional sense, a 4D hologram. It can always sense a 2D image. And it's doing all of that at the speed of light. Isn't it great? And that's why computational photography is exciting because there's some work you can let the computer do and there's a lot of work you can just let the physics do for you. But when the physics does it for you, it happens at the speed of light with almost no additional cost. So doing this co-design of the physical uh, device and the computational device brings in the real power in computational camera and computational photography. All right. So uh, let me switch to some other things I wanted to show you. By the way, is this all clear so far, this part here? This will be on your exam, remember? Yeah, this, is, this is the fun part. All right. So now that we have understood all these concepts of uh, rays and, and 4D space, let's see how it impacts. We already saw out of focus, uh, but let's see how it impacts uh, some other elements of photography. So let's say you have a point light. You take the uh, photo in sharp focus. It looks like a point. If you take that photo out of focus, it appears as a disk. Right? And if you look, if you saw this resolution chart, then it was blurred as well. Right? And here's an example to answer Dina's question, where we started with a 2D image, and now we have another 2D image, but the blur the image was convolved effectively by this disk. So we took every point, placed a disk around it, summed up all those values, and assigned it over there. Okay. And which was achieved using the same effect as this. Right? Every, every pixel in the world, like this one here, actually is contributing to a disk. Okay. The other way to think about this is if I just take one pixel here, and go up vertically, it's coming from different points in the world. And that's how we can specify blur. So now we have that. I'll come back to this later. But every once in a while we can create some really interesting, and this is called bokeh in, in Japanese, or boka. What's the right way to say it? Masa? In Japanese? Yeah. 
Bokeh. Bokeh. All right, good. And you know the exploitation of uh, out-of-focus blur. But sometimes you can do some interesting things. Instead of keeping the aperture completely open, you can insert a special pattern. Okay. So we're going to place this crossword puzzle-shaped mask in the aperture. And now if I take the photo out of focus, instead of getting a disk, the, the LED that you saw earlier, out of focus will appear something like this. The same 7 by 7 pattern that you have here ends up actually working. You see these two lines, and this whole pattern is exactly different. So you can do some really interesting things with it. Uh, so again, photographers, you know, want to take pictures that have really beautiful bouquet. So when it's really tiny aperture, uh, things are in focus over a large depth of field. But with a very large aperture, the background is completely out of focus. Alright, good. So now you can start playing some really interesting tricks. Okay. You can take a scene which has this tiny bright spots on a, on a specular reflection. Um, and in your aperture, you can, instead of putting the 7 by 7 uh, crossword puzzle shape mask, you can start putting some alphanumeric <laughs> characters. Okay, so I'm going to take seven different pictures. One with this aperture, one with this aperture, one with this aperture. Okay? And if you just take an addition of those three photos, so when you take a picture with this aperture, you get a vertical line for every bright spot out of focus. For this one, you get sort of horizontal line, vertical line, vertical line at a different position. If you just sum them up, every out of focus spot will have a letter 7 on it. So you can, I believe there's an animation here. So you can see letter 8 appearing at all different places. So let's try to understand what's going on here. So that's with a disk aperture, like a traditional aperture. This is the one with some special aperture. Okay. And if you want, you can even say, happy birthday, Jennifer, and it'll just show up there. So if you take a picture of all the candles, every candle will say, happy birthday. Okay. So how is this taking place? It's difficult to explain purely as, as um, autofocus blur. But if you think about what's going on over here, it's, it's very clear. So we have our lens, and uh, we have uh, our sensor. We have one candle or one bright spot. If it is autofocus, it will create a disk here. But imagine you started putting some interesting character. For simplicity, I'm just going to make uh, a 1010 pattern. So I'm going to put a film here that's open, closed, open, closed. Okay. So in this part of the lens, I can go through. So I'll get some value here. This part of the lens, I block. So I don't need anything. Over here, that goes through. So I get here, and this part of the lens is blocked. The pattern that we get here will be also simple. 
different pattern here, I will get a different number. And that's how you can code, put a code in that question. How would you think about this in the X theta space? But remember, the world is not a simple, there is not just a point, but there are a whole bunch of things going on here. And all of them are interacting with something. If you go to the X theta space, what we have is we have the X space here, the theta space here, and by blocking uh, this part and this part, what I'm saying is that the top is fine, I have blocked this part here. This is delicate, basically. And this part is open, so that's fine. And then again, the bottom part is deleted. So what the optical system is doing here is taking the light from outside, and it's just deleting all the rays here. It's just blocking all the rays. And then when you take a picture, you can create any effect. That's the, that's the basic And then again, you can you can play this cheesy trick of taking multiple images with different blur, and because of linearity, which we discussed last time, of light, um, you can you can uh, you can just take the addition of two images to create an illusion that the aperture actually had those three apertures. So instead of putting a seven in the in the aperture and taking one picture. You can take three pictures with each of those different apertures and just take some of that. And that's the beauty of light and interaction of light at normal intensities. You can first take a picture and then take an addition, as opposed to adding it in, in, in the physical domain and then taking a picture. This is good. So it's a fun project. If somebody wants to try it out, you know create nice bouquet, beautiful patterns. You can also put an LCD in the aperture, so it's not just a film, and you can change the LCD uh, so that depending on the depending on the event, you can change the different pattern, and you know, you'll get very interesting effects for sort of folks. Okay, so what's going on with uh, animal eyes? And we'll have a full lecture uh, a little bit later on animal eyes, and uh, no, compound eyes of animals are also very interesting. These are basically array of lenses, right? but just hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and this is kind of an artistic rendering of what the creature must be seeing. You know, just an array of very tiny images, which is not true, as we will see later. But that's how the rendition looks like. So there are projects such as uh, Tombow which tries to mimic this concept uh, to basically reduce the thickness of your camera. Okay. So if you have a 35mm um, lens, it will be about 35mm deep. Uh, but imagine if you want to create a camera that's really, really thin. One way of thinking about that is I can just split my lens into a set of tiny lenses. So if you go back to this uh, diagram over here, um, I have a sensor and lens light and main lens. I'll just get rid of this things. All I have is The question is, can you do something useful with that? Any guesses what you can do, what you cannot do? 
That's the situation. So there's no mainlands out here. Every point in the world maps to every uh, every block. Just cut it off. So if you have 50 such lenses, every point will be seen 50 times. Okay, but each of the images is actually pretty low resolution. Isn't this basically the same as uh, the light field vagary? Can repeat that? Isn't this basically the same setup as the light field big rig but smaller? Big rig? Yeah, yeah. The, the camera rig. Yes, yes. Okay, so that's a good point, right? Yeah. So let's say I tell you that you have a 16 megapixel sensor. Okay, you have 16 megapixel in flat line, you have 4,000 pixels. And you can use the 4,000 pixels any way you want. Okay. And you have some resolution in theta, some resolution in x. And if I don't use the light for camera, I have 4,000 pixels. If I place a, a light field, and let's say under each um, lens, I get 10 pixels here. I'm subdividing my lens into 10 zones. Right? And my actual resolution is only 400. So I have lens slits going from 1 to 400. And under each lens slit, I have a pixel that's I have 10 pixels. So in that sense, my resolution in X is 400, and resolution in theta is 10. And you can see that in the X theta space, it's this way. So this is only 10, and this is uh, 400. And inside this, I have 4,000 samples. Because I have only 4,000 measurements. And I need to distribute them somehow. In a typical sensor, all of them will go exactly for one. There is no theta resolution. So I will have 4,000 pixels, but no resolution in theta. In a light field camera, I could have 400 pixels and theta resolution of 10. Right? Or I could go in, in other directions where maybe this is even thicker and more thicker. I could do, for example, 200 by 20. 200 by 20. How far can I keep going? So I started with something really thin, it's fat, it's getting fatter, but the total number of samples are missing. If I get rid of this main lens, I'll give you a hint. What you end up getting is the opposite. You get 400 in theta and only 10 in x. So you have flipped from this condition, this situation, to this situation. Okay, because now what you have is, if I have a world out here, x, then from every point, I can resolve this theta to 400 different lenses. So this one is one. I can measure light coming out of this point in 400 different directions. Okay. But under each, I only have 10 pixels. So this is what I got. So the key lesson here is that a lens, and without a lens, you are basically flipping the resolution in X and theta. If you have a lens, 
you get more special resolution, but a little bit angular resolution, which is an ideal case. The world doesn't change that much if you change the viewpoint a little bit. But in certain case scenarios, as we see that are in microscopy and so on, this is the other way around. So let's flip the resolution of X. What I think is interesting is it depends on objects. So I hold the time thing. But if the object moves really close to the one that's getting a higher spatial resolution, this rotation as the object gets closer. That's a great point. Did you get did you hear that? I'll just draw it here what you were saying. So if my if my point is very far away, right? I don't need to sample this point in four thousand different directions, four hundred different directions. I think I sample it in ten different directions and I'm fine. And then having the lenses right there. But what Rob is saying is, now I can start coming closer. I'll bring the object very close now. Okay. Those 400 directions are sufficiently wide for spanning more panels. And as you come really, really close, right, and it's almost minus to one here, then I really want to see all these directions and capture them. So, and then the analogy of what happens when you go from here to here is that remember the lens is trying to do a very good job of mapping a 4D light field for the real world into a 4D light field on the on the inside world inside the camera. And again, again, have a whole other analogy if you like. But when you don't have a lens, that's not true anymore. You have a light field here, and you have a similar light field here for this plane. Right? So imagine you put a hologram here, and the hologram has exactly 10 directions. So it's a 400 pixel hologram, it has exactly 10 directions. If I want to capture that, I should probably have a lens here. But if I have a hologram where I have only 10 pixels, and it has 400 different directions, I'm so close to it then it makes sense to get rid of the lens. So in microscopy and so on. So uh, Mark Lovato has done some work uh, in light fields in, in, in microscopes. He uses different considerations depending on where you are. And the example that we saw for um, shock Hartman sensor for looking at the apparition of a point light they didn't use the main lens either. They were expecting to see a point that's very, very far away. But they aren't they are interested in taking an image of the point with the setup. They are just interested in finding the apparition. So if you have a point very far away and the waves are coming straight, I don't need a main lens. If it's coming straight, all the images are at the center. And if there's an aberration, the, image, the, the, the sharp images are offset. So there are many configurations when you when you uh, can decide between a main lens and uh, okay. And one thought experiment for you would be uh, what happens if there is more than one lens element or more than one lens element? So you should look up something called the whole super lens. Great fun uh, concept uh, where you actually have to put in two lenses in future. 
it turns out by putting two lenses right next to each other with the right gap between them, you can create one big lens. And it has very interesting properties because the focal length of that lens is dependent on the depth. In a traditional lens, it, bend, it copies the light field from inside, outside to inside. But for the double super lens, it does a very strange transformation. Then you can light field over the And once you start thinking about uh, the world as not just 2D but 4D, um, and uh, a photograph having not just a position coordinate but also an angle coordinate, uh, you realize there are lots of other examples uh, where this 4D representation starts making sense. So near the end of the semester, we'll be studying uh, medical imaging and scientific imaging uh, using tomography and, and, and deconvolution and so on. And all those concepts, you know, CAT scan machine, they all work on this principle of being sensitive to position as well as angle. So in case of uh, a CAT scan machine, you have you basically have a, so you have some kind of a cylinder, and the patient goes in here, right? The very first class we saw how this behaves like a jet engine, and you're sticking your head uh, into the jet engine. Uh, but what is it doing exactly? It has uh, a set of detectors and an emitter. And your head is in here. You turn on this X-ray source and you take this image, take the shadows. Then you move this light source and you take new shadows. And this is basically capturing the light field of your body using X-rays. Simplify this diagram. Imagine this is flat. And in, in case of X-rays, the source is moving and the sensors are moving as well in a, in a, in a, in a world. But to simplify this diagram, imagine I flatten this set of pixels and I put the lights at different positions and you still have your head. I'm going to cast a shadow from this here. And this is basically your theta coordinate, and this is your x coordinate. And every ray here can be represented in the x theta space. And then it turns out that if there is redundancy in your space, such as if you have a voxel inside your body, and independent of which direction the x ray comes in, it attenuates to the same factor. So whether it's bone or muscle or, or, or blood, uh, then Although your light field is four-dimensional, the inherent data is only two or three-dimensional. And so you can invert that and recover the opacity of each one. Uh, so the same thing can be done with light field. If you capture this four-dimensional light field, now you can go back and estimate the depth of every point in the scene. So typically you use a stereo pair, just two cameras, and try to do some uh, 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 correlation to estimate correspondence and by triangulation estimate that. But on your second assignment, 
what you're going to do is capture the light field and directly from the light field estimate that. And the way you're going to do that is you'll basically again line up those images. If the point is in sharp focus, if the digit will be focusing, all these values here will look the same. But if something is out of focus, you need to all shift and add. Right? So you'll have to shift at some point. <coughs> and then all these values will become the same. And the fact that all the values are the same indicates that now you have achieved a digital focus. Yes. Um, how can we uh, achieve non-linear focus? Um, like, I mean, like focus in a vacant new set? Yes, so that's a great point. So think about you have a point um, which is at different depth. And you're saying that uh, in, in flatland, at the top of the image, it should be focused here. In the middle of the image, it should be focused here, and so on. Right? So this is my plane of or surface of focus rather than, than, than this. So all you have to do is for the top point, right? you have to keep there's a little bit more you have to do, but I'll, I'll give you a very, very high-level flavor of how you should do this. For this point, for this, uh, you have the lens here. For this particular direction, so I'm not multiple cameras. Right? For this particular direction, you can just calibrate your world. You can put a box, you know, one meter wide, and I can say within this box, at the top left. I want to be the folks to be in the top left, in the middle, in the in the back of the frame, and the front. Right? You just kind of did that. And you can move the camera <coughs> and say that all the rays that go here, I'm going to add up and I'm going to assign them. But for the next pixel, I'm not going to add up all those rays. I'm going to add up some other rays. Okay? How do we achieve that in the next three lessons? We know that for a point here. There will be some uh, value over here. But for a point here, there is some kind of a slope. Right. So, if I just wanted to create an image that's, so let's take something very concrete. If I were to focus on infinity, I know I should just project it straight up. I just sum up everything along vertical lines. If I want to focus somewhere closer, I need to shear the So I'm going to take this, keep the image same space like that, and I'm going to sum up these values. Okay, and store the value. I'm going to sum up these values and store the value. And this means I'm focusing at this point. If you want to focus at a slightly different plane, then it's vertical, it's slanted, but to focus at some other plane, there's a less slant in focusing. So now your question is, how can I do it differently for different pieces? So on the edges, I will just do vertical projection. Right? In the middle, I will do a slanted projection. And for all the places in between, I will do less slanted. <coughs> and then I'll come back. If I do that, And you can imagine all crazy tricks you can do. Yeah. So one part of your assignment, uh, you're going to look at 
um, you can look at, um, you could have a seat tool. Okay. And for that, what I recommend you to do is, take your array of cameras, and then create some kind of a fence here. So in, in, in real world, I'm, I'm guessing there's some kind of a, a fence. It is a see-through part. And then there is some book or some painting back here. <coughs> and you will take 16 images, and, you'll, and this is red, and this is green. You'll be able to get it off. Uh, purely by focusing on the background. So when you focus on the foreground, you have to maybe shift by three pixels, and shift on the background, you have to shift by two pixels. But uh, as an extra credit, what you can do is not just refocus, but also do some analysis of uh, when you when you shift and add those pixels, if all those pixels have the same value or not. So if the red object wasn't there and you just focus on the green, all the pixels here will be green. All this value will be green. Yeah. But if you have some object here, some of these objects, some of these pixels will be red. <coughs> yes? What is the Y? Here, this is X in this data. Theta is the camera number, and X is just the camera X. So the image from the first camera is placed here. The image from the second camera goes here. And so on. Okay. And because you're doing this problem only in 1D, every row is independent. So think of this as only the center row of each of the system cameras. <laughs> okay, so going back to this example of red versus green, you when you try to sample it, you'll see that you can refocus on green and the object will look mostly green, but there'll be some reds. <coughs> but then you can do very simple outlier rejection. And let's say 16 cameras and only four of them, so 12 of those are, are green and only four of those are red. You don't have to sum all 16. You can say, what's my, what's the color that's in majority? And that color is green. So you will not get a reddish tinge to your to your photo, but you'll get of red quality. It's not a simple linear projection, it's not just a sum of the pixels, but you're going to throw out colors that are in minority. And that will really get much better things. And again, this is a, this is in the second subpart of this assignment. You don't have to do it, that's fine. The main concept you want to learn is to shoot. Uh, when you're taking the pictures, I have, I have plenty of instructions in the, in the assignment. Uh, when you're taking the pictures, make sure they are placed at, at equal distances and you know, you move the camera in a parallel fashion. Make sure the scene, it has vibrant colors. So this color should be sufficiently different from what's behind it. Uh, so that you know, your results are easy to verify. And before you do any of this, use that data set I gave you, the, the test data set. And just take a hundred by hundred pixel region of that and just run your code to make sure everything is done. And then you can go and take your own images. So even before you take the images, run your code on those <coughs> on those.
was, um, I think that's the basis. Because if you start with your own images and you're not getting the right results, you don't know if the problem is with your, your photos or with your code. Uh, and uh, does Photoshop allow you to shift them back? Yeah, I haven't tried it. It's pretty easy to do it. You can put like, oh, you can just do a whole bunch of layers with a little opacity and that starts not changing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, then you can write a script in. Go pick it Yeah, screw it. Yeah. 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 Okay, but you can use HDR Shop and do the same thing. And you can just shift. Because you can enter. Enter numbers. Shift right, shift right, shift right. And you can also add. So you can do that as well. But of course, I recommend doing this programmatic thing. <laughs> MATLAB, this is where we find a half and a four. Read images, shift, and. <coughs> but just because it's fine to have lines of code, don't wait until the first day of an Start today because the, the, the fun part of this is actually taking these images and creating scenarios where you can see through. And you know, they should, they should go on the Flickr page and uh, uh, you know, we, will, we will comment on each other's. Uh, each of the score. Uh, for the first assignment, only about five out of several dozen submissions um, were on ticket. So make sure your the first assignment was all about getting your pipeline uh, up and running. Uh, so almost everybody got an A. So you should feel good about yourself. But somebody got an A plus, so <laughs> and others got an A. Um, so I think you got an A plus. Good job. Um, so yeah, make sure it's on Flickr and all those three places. And feel free to send me uh, email. You can talk to uh, Professor Oliveira or Professor Mukaigawa uh, about any of this, or also Ankit. Uh, and Kimo is also here if you, if you want to talk about um, uh, 3D scanning and so on. And use the forum on the Stellar website and, uh, and so on. So today's lecture was very much focusing on the theory behind uh, how we start thinking, and then starting next week, we'll be looking at very different applications and different tricks we use uh, in optics. So, just go through the slides I post today. They are conceptual, uh, uh, but it will take you some time to just grasp it. And uh, again, as I said, it might feel somewhat odd to think in a dual space of x and theta, as opposed to just trying to trace directly. But as you will see later, especially in your projects and, and so on. And this will greatly simplify. Um, this will greatly simplify the way you think about your problems. Cool. Have a good weekend.